My friends, you're back and my heart is full. Or you're here for the first time and my heart is full. Either way, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Am I right? This is the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show, where we're filling your ears with talk about improv, art, and creativity. I'm Travis Lincoln Cox, and today I am very, very, very excited because our guest for this installment of our Artist Brain series is very, very, very special to myself and to Anatasha. Wendy Penrod is one of the founding members of Off the Cuff Comedy in Cedar City, Utah. And it was under her tutelage that both Anatasha and I first took a sip of the magical elixir that is improv. If it weren't for Wendy and OTC, Storm Chaser would not exist today. And for that, we are forever grateful. As you'll hear, Wendy is just a treasure trove of light and knowledge. We talk about what she learned by starting with nothing and eventually building an improv community, complete with Kick-Ass Improv Festival and their very own theater from scratch. We talk about the core elements of improv that have made a lasting impact on her play. And we have a very interesting discussion about the overlap between good mental health and the principles of improv. It was an absolute joy to sit down with her, and I refuse to make you wait any longer before getting to the good stuff. Please enjoy our Artist Brain interview with the one and only Wendy Penrod. You're listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. I instantly feel happier seeing your face. <laughs> well, the feeling is mutual, if that helps. It really does. Thank you. <laughs> Whose face are you the happiest to see, Wendy? Dude, this is that. a this is a really good um, question, but I I mean by far I would say mine. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Self love is important, Wendy. <laughs> that makes hey, sense. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Wendy, how's your life? How are you living? What's going on? It's good. It's good. I am, in fact, living. Things are good. <laughs> I don't know. How do you answer that question this year? You know what I mean? If everybody answers <laughs> oh, it no. the same, like there's no way to answer it. Um, I'm fine. I'm simultaneously fine. fine and then awful. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's been terrible, but I'm fine and it's great, but I'm good. I'm, I mean, you know, I really don't have much that I can complain about because things are still moving forward, which is good. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh my gosh, thank you guys for having me. It bo- I was like as excited as I was humbled, as I was just tickled, as I am happy. You know what I mean? Like I'm like all of the things in equal measure. We're so excited to talk to you because <laughs> we were just talking about before you got on. Storm Chaser wouldn't exist without Off the Cuff. Like it just wouldn't. <laughs> I think that gives us a little too much credit. No, but 100%. I appreciate it. I don't even think I'd be improvising if it wasn't for you. Actually, I know I wouldn't be. So I can say that with surety. <laughs> so for everyone, let me just do a little, a little Cliff Notes history lesson. Okay. Anatasha and I are both from Utah, as I think we've talked about extensively on this, specifically in reference to the Utah Jazz. Go Jazz. Take note. Yes. And we met... Wendy Penrod and TJ Penrod and everyone else in Off the Cuff while living in Cedar City for various reasons. Before either of us started performing improv, we started watching improv, watching Off the Cuff. And we fell in love with improv. We fell in love with them as people. And, you know, fast forwarding all the things that happened, they ended up asking us 
individually to play with them. And that was, at least for me, I think for Tasha, that was the first time I had ever actually performed improv for anyone besides my parents' video camera in my basement. So. Yeah, same same for me. Same exact answer for me. <laughs> I like that you both did it for your parents' camera in the basement. Like, I did it for Travis's camera. Yeah, you know, I. Part. So this is where I really think you guys would have found each other anyway because you were clearly in the same basement. But keep going. Okay, well, anyway, maybe we would have found each other, but that's the other thing is because we we found each other at IO West, but both of us went to IO West because. You and TJ had connections there. We both yeah. got internships because you guys had connections there. You made us a little, made a little phone call on our behalf. At least that's how I got my internship. I don't know if that was the same for you, Tosh. Well, I didn't, I didn't need a phone call, but same, same connection though. Yeah. Sure. So anyway, it's not an exaggeration to say we really do owe it all to you. Oh my gosh, that I think that's way too, way too much credit. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I'll take some of it. I'll take some of the credit because you guys were rad and we were like, uh, we want to play with rad people. So why wouldn't we? And then we found out you guys knew each other, wanted to play together. We were like, that makes all of the sense in the world. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) So it's like the ripple effect. If I threw a, uh, you know, if I threw the rock in the pond, I'm glad the ripples led you to each other. Yeah. It's kind of beautiful. It's so cute. I love it. Well, the only thing that I want to add to that is I remember being at the grind. My best friend, Kathy, and I used to go see your shows every Friday night and we'd have conversations being like, who's your favorite member of off the cuff besides Wendy? Because like, we just like had to add that because I'm like, we're, you were both of our favorites. And then we'd be like, all right, you can rank them from there. But besides Wendy. Aw, well, thanks. That's very nice. Well, now we can't let any other members of off the cuff listen to this. Oh, we should make all of them listen to it because I'm sure Rev was last. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rev. <laughs> we love Rev. He's awesome. I had everyone's pins. I had the T-shirt. I had yeah. all the swag. I had all the like, swag. Wow, swag. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, we had swag. Travis so, and I were both pins actually as well. Yes. Which, which I I still I'm actually. Hold on. <laughs> This, this is going to be weird, but I'm going to show it to everyone. Here we are. There she oh, is. wow. There she Whoa. Is. I have my pin sitting on my desk, so. <laughs> yeah, mine is on my other desk. <laughs> we have like buckets of pins still. Next time we see each other, we should rummage through and you guys can grab all the pins you desire. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. I wanted to catch them all at the time. So yeah, we bought a <laughs> button maker and went crazy. We were like, let's make buttons. But they were awesome. That were yeah. okay. We're getting ahead of ourselves because we. Do yeah, wanna... yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. We we want to talk to you because I think I think you guys did with off the cuff. Nobody else does it, and no one else has figured out how to crack the code, and you guys didn't. We want to pick your brain about all of that. But okay. before we get there, yes, yes. We want to know about your personal journey to improv. I, like you're, okay. I know you're an amazing, talented actress as well. Did you hmm. find improv through acting or how, how yes. did you find it? 
So this is kind of an interesting story. Um, I hate it when people start that because then it's, it's not interesting. <laughs> then if it's not interesting, somebody's like, "What a liar!" Um, so, okay, this is the most this is the most this amazing is, story you've ever heard in your life. Go ahead, Wendy. Whenever you're ready. I thought you were gonna say this is the most boring story. <laughs> so I came. I I I was after high school. I went to Southern Utah University for theater. Theater was my passion. I wanted to be an actress. That's all I wanted to do ever, ever, ever. So I went to SUU for theater. This was this was way back in the day before cell phones and computers, and we had this big cork board in the hallway of the theater department that was the call board, right? It's where the auditions were put up. It's where you'd find out what rehearsals were happening or clubs or whatever was going on. So I got down to SUU, and I came down with a friend of mine from high school, and the second semester she left because she didn't like SUU as much as I did, and I was feeling a little, you know, I don't know. I was standing at the call board one day, and I was just looking at it, and one of the professors came over to me, and she said, hey, Wendy, I want you to come to my office, and I said, sure. So I go into her office, and she goes, you seem lost. And I said, oh, no, I was just looking at the call board, like seeing if there were auditions or whatever coming up. And she said, no, you seem lost. Like you seem lost. I have an idea for you. And I said, okay. She goes, I think you need to join the improv club. And I said, no, Valine, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not funny. I'm not good. Like we did improv in high school. I was terrible at it. And I said, it's just not really like a thing that I think I would be good at or that I've been interested in at all. And she said, listen, I think it will open you up. You're very shy. That's right. She said, I, I was shy. And she goes, and you're just, I just feel like you're sort of meandering here. And I think it could be something that can show you a path. I really do. And I said, I mean, fine. I'll go to one class, I guess, who runs the class. Um, it was this kid named Chris Fitz who just, as luck would have it, was like the most beautiful man I think I'd ever seen up to that point in my life. So I was like, I guess I can go sit there and stare at him for an hour and a half. Um, uh, and um, in fact, he just got engaged today to his boyfriend. I was so excited for him. Anyway, so we're, I still keep in touch with Chris Fitz. And he knows all about this that I was just like. I'm just going to stare at you. So I was like, fine, I guess I'll go. I went to the improv club that first day and I fell completely in love with it. It was like nothing else that I had ever seen or felt before. It was this like connection and fun. And he was so nice and so encouraging and made me feel like this was something that I could do that I just, that was it started going all the time. And then as people started joining the club, we eventually were like, let's, let's do a show every week. Let's like do something with this. So that's how it happened. And was that first show, was that the beginning of off the cuff or was that something different? Oh no. So I got asked like two months later to do a show that they did at Brian head. They had like got a gig, you know, up at a ski resort doing a show. And I showed up, there was like seven people there. I was so nervous. And afterwards, um, Chris Fitz was like, you're so good at this. You're really funny. I'm so glad that you're here. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And then it was like, I'm never going to leave. OTC didn't start for a couple of years after that. It was really the improv club on at the university was like my release and the fun. It was every Friday at four. And I remember telling my mom, I'll come home on the weekends, but it'll have to be after six. On Fridays, because I have improv club. <laughs> what was the moment that Off the Cuff was born? I'm sure it was a journey, but if yeah. you had to pinpoint it. So, if I had to pinpoint it, I would pinpoint it 
here. I've been doing the improv club on campus for a couple of years. Uh, a couple of our, my really good friends had joined on Dave and Mary, this boy that I thought was very cute and had just started dating. I met him at the improv and we were talking and we were literally talking after a show that we did for a group of freshmen. So SUU would say like, Hey, we've got this group of incoming freshmen. We don't know what to do. Will you guys do shows for them? And so we were like, sure. And they're like, we just want to you know, show them the different clubs on campus. So we would do, we did the show and there was like 150 of them and they loved it. And afterwards, I just remember Dave, Mary, TJ and I sitting there going like, we should do this. We should really do this as a show. Let's just go see what we can do about doing this weekly. And Dave was like, you know, I hear there's a new coffee shop opening up in Cedar City. What if we just asked the owner if we can like do a show there? And so we were like, sure, let's do that. So we just did that. <laughs> we just walked into the coffee shop and said, can we do shows here? And the guy was like, yeah, what are you guys thinking? And we're like, well, Fridays, because usually we're all in plays and we have like, you know, Saturday is usually a day that there will be tech rehearsals that might uh, interfere with us being able to do this really late. So let's do Fridays at 10 because then our, most of our shows will be done. And he said, sure, let's do that. And we said, well, how much do you want? Like, how, what's the plan here? And he just said, I'll take 10% of the door. And that was it. Wow. That was like in October and we held auditions and started that January. <laughs> like it was just, we were too young and too dumb to realize that that, that it, we could have been making a million mistakes, right? Like that when you look back on it, you're like, don't start an improv troupe with your new boyfriend of two months. Like don't, 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 you know, don't just, don't, you know, don't just walk in with no plan. Like we were just sort of like, I don't know, this sounds fun. And I remember us saying like, if we could do this for a whole semester, how cool would that be? And what year was this, Wendy? This was in 2004. Yeah, we just celebrated 17 years in January. That is so awesome. So those shows started to gain in popularity. And Travis and me and Natasha were talking about how y'all used to hand out flyers in person for those shows. Yeah. Which is something that I feel like a lot of improvisers would balk at for their own improv show. They're like, flyers <laughs> handing them out? Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. We would just stand on campus. I mean, it was like we might as well have been wearing sandwich boards. We would just like, come see our improv show. Come see our improv show. Come see our improv show. Like, yeah, we would literally just hold, stand there and hand flyers out in between classes to people. <laughs> We had no shame. We were like too young to realize that that could be embarrassing. I love it. I don't remember how I first heard about Off the Cuff. Probably, I'm imagining just be through the theater department. It was like, we go to Off the Cuff on Fridays. Please come. But I remember falling in love immediately. And then that being like my Friday night for a very long time. And it was such a great introduction to improv. And for our listeners, mm -hmm. if you don't know, yeah, celebrating 17 years, such a beautiful theater that they have now and a beautiful, like a great, very loyal audience. And it's um, just mm -hmm. something to behold. It's really great. Thank you. I'm curious, as you were talking about like improv club and like the early days of Off the Cup, yeah. like, I'm curious if you can remember if there were certain things that stood out to you, like certain improv breakthroughs or like, Oh yeah. The what's the base of improv that you really cling to? Is there anything that you still, Oh yeah. That I still go back to that. I just learned from those really early times. Yeah. Gosh, I would say the way that Chris Fitz treated me when I walked in the door, right. That this is this idea of like, our job is to build each other up 
it's not to be the best one in the room, right? That you're only as good as your scene partner is doing. So if I can make them look as good as possible. And he would say that all the time. He'd be like, we're here to have fun and we're here to like learn how to make each other look great. And we're here to expand our own abilities to like think on our feet. Like at that point in improv club, it was all like, how does this funnel into our acting? How does this make us more versatile? What are the things that we can do with this? Um, which is funny. Cause I like never did any comedy. If that's you, you, I was always, people were always like, you know, Wendy from the improv club, let's have her play this woman that kills her children. Um, I did a lot of stuff like that, but <laughs> like, um, so it was always like, how can we use this to show that we can like make more choices or be bigger but ultimately it was always about us just really enjoying each other's company us just really loving each other because chris fitz had this thing after we would be done with scenes where we never talked about what didn't work he'd always say what did everybody love about that scene and that's all we would talk about and then we would move on i love that do you feel like that goal to become a better actor worked do you feel like your improv seeped into your acting oh yeah oh yeah yeah it just made me much more comfortable in my own skin which ultimately makes you a better actor right much more comfortable in making choices comfortable with failure you know when you're in the rehearsal process you can try anything you want to I mean you can still do that on stage too and I have this like it's this innate understanding as an improviser that like the worst that's gonna happen is we're gonna fail completely and I've done that about a thousand times and I'm still here so Okay, we fail. You know, we're we're doing the glass menagerie. We're not we're not dealing with high stakes here. It's a written, you know, show that's already done. So, you know, nobody's gonna die. So we can really try and go for some things and have some fun and think outside the box or understand what honesty looks and feels like and what being interested in what's being said to you is more important than thinking of what the next thing you're gonna say is and improv taught me all of that. It's so beautiful. I mean, it's it sounds like you're really obsessed with the art of it yeah and you let the beauty of that inspire you forward because i feel like so many people in their quest to be better improvisers or whatever they focus on all the things they're doing wrong but like you said it's kind of like when you're just giving credit to the things that worked really well the things that you're grateful for it can kind of like beckon that good stuff forward you know yeah. Well, I've always been really bad at stopping things that don't work. Like, like if somebody right now was to say like, I'm not, I'm not good at like not eating sugar. That's just the truth of it. Right. I'm like not good at not doing something, but I can definitely do more of something if I'm told it's working. I'm not great at stopping a behavior, but I can do a ton of it more. I think that's innately a human understanding of, oh, I can do more of this. You tell me what to do more of. I can do more of that. And inherently doing more of something positive, actually, the the negative things kind of do fall away without people having to think about it. I've been thinking a lot about leaning into strengths instead of getting mad about my weaknesses (sighs) or even just about trying to fix them because I was like, oh, I think that if I lean into my strengths, it's sort of like you said, that maybe those things will begin to get better, like be lifted with my strengths. But also I just think you're bound to find more success. The sugar thing I find is so relatable. I'm like, oh, I can exercise more. Don't ask me to stop doing something, but I can like start exercising more. That's fine. I can eat more vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can walk 20 more minutes a day, but to tell me like you will never be able to have sugar again is something that I immediately, (sighs) that's, that's like part of me that just goes, no, no. 
<laughs> like I just have this like kid inside me. So I'm like, well, I can tap into a kid and just, you know, what do we do with little kids? Like inside, like anybody who wants to be an improviser is just t- technically doesn't want to let go of being his kid. And what kids need is positivity. Kids thrive when you're like, you're so strong. You're so great. You've got this. Improvisers are the exact same way. This is really making me think of, we did an interview with Juzo Yoshida. I don't know if you know Juzo or not. Uh-uh. He's in a, a clown improv team called Jetso, but he's... I've, I've seen Jetso yes. and I love Jetso. Yeah. And so like, but, and I've met him, but I don't know him. Right. If that makes sense. He was talking about when he was first getting into improv, because he is a unique artist and, you know, he had a language barrier thing, he, yes. he had improv teachers literally give him Juzo's list of things to not do. And yeah, exactly. And I think he finally, he said that Chad, the other member of, of Jetso, I think did more of what you're talking about, which is like, no, Juzo is amazingly good at the things he's good at. Just do yeah. more of that. And it's yeah. perfect. We all want to, of course, be better well-rounded improvisers and people and we're always striving for that but there is something to be said for like knowing what you contribute to your team that is good and positive and why you are on that team and that that is not something to ever shy away from right that if I tried so hard to be like I'm going to try and be an improviser like Rev is then we've got no pirate we're just robots you know what I mean we need we need both that's 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 a huge improv inside thing do you want to explain that for my mother-in-law who's definitely yes, listening yeah. to this who's definitely listening there's this like old adage of like three kind of improvisers a robot a pirate and a ninja the pirate is a swashbuckler who comes in and is like let's establish something the robot makes sense of it and the ninja drops the bombs of truth or genius or hilarity that make the whole thing matter and work Uh, i have another i have a team with rev and tj tj's my husband and rev is like our one of our very good friends and the reason we think the three of us work so well is because i'm a pirate rev is a robot and tj's a ninja and we just lean into that you know we can be the other parts when we need to be but there's a certain amount of like just understanding that People like and love you for these for certain reasons. Why not give more of that to the world? Wow. I love that. It also takes some weight off my shoulders of being like, I have to be good at everything. You're like, no, yeah. you know, your teammates are going to take care of a lot of that. You just need to be more you. Yeah. Imagine how boring the world and every team would be if everybody was great at everything. What are we going to do then? Well, you can't have a band of only drummers. Right. You know? It doesn't make sense. Somebody in a drum line. I know. Somebody who started the drum line was like, excuse me, sir. I was like, drum line, stomp, blue man group. Okay, move on, move on, move on. Somebody ask a different question. All of us paused because I think everyone was thinking the same thing where I was like, yes, but no. Uh, I'm going to edit that out. I'm going to edit that out. (laughs) It's such an improviser thing to immediately go like, well, there's also a way this rule can be broken. Let's break something. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you're not all playing the same trash can at the same rhythm. There you go. The there analogy you go. works. I'm sticking to it. What's your favorite what's your favorite improv rule to break? Ooh. I don't yeah, improv rule or improv like just something people do a lot that you're like, ah, I like I really like to mess with that. I love slow, silent, very patient improv. It's my favorite. I love a moment. And like, I don't think people break this or don't do it. I just think people have the misconception that that's not what improv is really about. For me, I just love a moment when you can be having something and then suddenly it really gets real. 
Mm. Right. Where you're like three friends talking and someone's like giving somebody else crap and somebody just says something like, it's just because I'm so lonely. And everybody kind of goes, Oh, and then we can move on because then when you get a next, the next laugh will feel like an even bigger payoff. It's like, you know, when somebody tells a joke at a funeral, we all finally get to go like, okay, we're still alive. We're good. We're fine. Everybody's fine. We're going to be okay. And so I love, I love those kind of moments so much. So I'll be the first one who maybe like brings it to a real place. That's my new, that's my new mantra. I want my shows to be like a joke at a funeral. I feel like that fits. I'm like, yep, I'm just going to lean harder into that. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about building tension in our improv. Oh, I love it so much. I love it so much because it reminds everybody, you know, because we're all there for a shared experience. Nobody goes to an improv show because they're like, Ugh, I think this is going to be terrible. Nobody shows up that night because they don't want to be there or they might not necessarily want to be there, but they're with somebody who really wants them there. And we together as a group can create this human experience that you're never going to have anywhere else. So if we have this opportunity to create a human experience, these people are never going to experience again together. We might as well really do something special with it. You hear that pish? You hear that? (laughs) (laughs) My head's exploding. (laughs) So I'm interested now in kind of going back to your timeline and off the cuffs timeline a little Mm -hmm. bit. How did the move go from we're doing shows at a coffee house yeah. To one day, all of a sudden, we have our own theater. We're teaching classes. Like, <laughs> how does that transformation work? Not only actual, like physically, yeah. logistically, but like mentally. How did you get to this space where you're like, oh, I'm a leader in this community and we can do this now? That's a, okay. So I think for us, it, nothing ever happens in one day. I'll say that. Between starting in a coffee house and opening our own theater was a long time. A lot of moments where we all thought like, maybe this is it. So, you know, it sounds really nice and lovely to be like, and then from the coffee house, we moved to this hotel. And in the hotel, we had even better and bigger shows. And then from the hotel, we opened up our own theater. Because it sounds like we sat at the beginning and said like, this is the plan. But when actuality happened was the owner of the coffee shop changed and the new owner said, Hey guys, I can't stay up this late on a Friday night. You guys can't stay here. (laughs) So we were like, okay, um, let's find somewhere else. And the hotel was like the option that made sense to us because they said yes. Not because we were like, we have five great options and we're going to choose the hotel. They said, (laughs) yes, we didn't want to stop. So we were like, we can make this work. So I just want to clarify the hotel for everyone out there. There was a hotel in Cedar city called the crystal Inn. Yeah. And do you guys just rented out one of their, it was like three of their big conference rooms that were next to each other, right? Like you rented yeah. out all yeah. three. Yeah, their ballroom. Yeah. 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 And we had to build our stage and lights every night. So this was the time that Anastasia and Travis were really there was these times that we'd be like, we're doing a show at 10, call us at six because we're going to set up the whole stage. Yeah. (laughs) I remember I played at the grind a few times, but the majority of my play experience, well, maybe not the majority, like let's just say half, I think was at the Crystal Inn and we would show up early to to build a theater basically. And it was yeah. so much work, but I also remember it being very fun because you're like in the yes. room with like 10 very funny people, <laughs> you know, hammering yeah. around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like screwing in pieces of the stage together and cranking lights up on these big, you know, light pole things that we had bought. <laughs> yeah. Unwinding cords that we were then taping across the ground and setting up chairs. I was and, like, really creating. using that theater major. 
I was really using yeah. that major more than, than maybe ever. Oh my gosh. Right. And then we would have to take it all down every night and it would be like snowing sometimes or freezing cold. And we would stay out until like two in the morning. Like it was like this long process of like eight, 8 PM to 2 AM to make these shows happen. It wasn't always like, this is awesome and easy and great. We just kept doing it because we loved it. Like we loved hanging out with each other. We loved doing the shows. People seemed to like the shows. So like with each new step, we sort of felt like this is the top, man. Like we would really honestly be like, we bought a microphone. Oh, <laughs> my God. And then it was like, we're going to get an iPod. An iPod? Off the cuff's going to own an iPod? And then it was suddenly like we had lights and sound and a stage. And it was like, how? Like we were just like, can you guys believe this? Like we're doing this. We're doing it. And so with each step, it was sort of like half necessity, half complete naivety. And the other half, and half, 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 there's three. A third of us <laughs> just sheer like like excitement, naivety, and like us just sort of being like, we just want to keep going. Like it was sort of like, do you guys want to keep doing this? Yeah, cool. Let's keep doing it. And I don't think it was until probably like year six or seven that we started to go like, oh, this is really like something. And it wasn't until we started like going out to other improv theaters that we were kind of like, oh, we might have something here that we haven't totally been off our rocker or, you know, cause we were sort of just doing what made sense to us at the time. We weren't really thinking about longevity and we weren't really thinking about anybody else. We just sort of did what made sense for us in that moment. And then the crystal Lynn kicked us out. <laughs> How did that happen? So that was a Crystal Lynn decision. They moved some college football games to Friday nights. When SUU moved to a conference or something, there were more games happening on Friday nights and the players would stay at the Crystal Lynn because they had that huge conference room so they could do big team meetings with, you know, 75 to 100 of their football players. They could all fit in there to eat and they could all fit in there to have stuff. So a bunch of colleges around the country were like, why can't we come on a Friday night? You have, we have to be out of your conference room at nine. Like, what are you talking about? He sort of sat us down and said, like, look, the owners are saying like, this isn't going to work anymore. So we were like left with nowhere to go and we couldn't find anywhere. The only place that would take us was this inflatable bounce house place <laughs> in the middle of the industrial part of Cedar city. And our shows went from like 175 people a show to six people. Those were what we call the dark times. That was six months. And those six months were the time when we really said, we want to do this enough to keep moving forward with it. So we're going to keep doing it. If we can do this for six people, this means this is really the thing. We want to do this. So we were doing the same thing we were doing in the crystal and setting everything up, but we had to walk up a flight of stairs, <laughs> carrying everything up a flight of stairs. It was then that really pushed us to say, like, this is so not cool for us to have to set this up every night. Wouldn't it be nice to have our own space? So we started looking into, like, where are some places around Cedar City that we think we could actually make this work? And that's how we got into our theater. Let me just brag for you. I think I was, it was all I knew. So I didn't realize that having almost 200 people every single week show up to your show and buy yeah. a ticket for an improv show. <laughs> I didn't know any better. I was like, yeah. this is, yeah, of course. I felt like a rock yeah. star. Yeah, Travis and I were like raised as unicorns and then thrown out into the <laughs> wild, wild west. Getting shot out and, you know, stepping in sh horse shit everywhere. Yeah. 
So I just want to point out to all of the LA improvisers tuned into this podcast. Y'all are rock stars in Cedar City. Like you like yeah. in this in the population of Cedar City is what like 30,000 people. Yeah. And you're having these huge shows every mm-hmm. week. Sometimes are you doing it's at one point you started doing twice a week. Mhm. We like, did. That's yeah. incredible. So first of all, just brag on that and just Oh, thanks. Yeah, you built something really amazing. Oh, thank you. And Cedar City is also kind of like a theater center. Yeah, we have a Shakespeare festival. Our city is very dedicated to the arts. We're a city that has 30,000 people in it, and we we literally have like six theaters in town, six or seven theaters. It's definitely a city that loves performance and performing arts. I mean, Mormons in general tend to like performance. They love to to be around that. And we're, we're, that's a very high population of our city. So yeah, we're also lucky in that way that they really understand the power of theater and they want to cultivate that. That's a really good point. I have a question. This might seem kind of random, but okay. from doing Off the Cuff and Pawn Takes Queen and then also being able to go out and do festivals and things like that. Yeah. How much do you feel like you censor yourself for a Utah audience compared to like when you go do festivals or something like that, do you find 80%, 80%? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. At, in Cedar city, we can maybe get away with a PG. Maybe, maybe we can get away with a bitch. We can get away with an ass. Sometimes a shit, <laughs> but when we go to festivals, it's like, fuck this, fuck that, fuck this, fuck that. I mean, we like let loose. Cause that's how we are yeah. in real life. Like I think somebody who comes to our shows regularly would see us in a festival and be like, well, I was not prepared. <laughs> for that. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I was curious about that because I've seen you play a lot, but most yeah. of the time it's been in the OTC center, like during an off the cuff show. And so I've always, I've always wondered. Thank you. Oh yeah. We have to be very, you know, cause that's another thing that our audience will let us know. And the funny thing is we tell people this when they come to our festival, we'll say like, you guys don't need to hold back. They'll forgive you because you're from LA and they'll sort of be like, those people from that big city. But if we do it, they'll be like, I expect more from you. <laughs> like they'll really, we really wow. get that feeling from them. <laughs> that's, I think an impressive skill because I grew, I grew up Mormon and I don't really cuss in real life. When I improvise, <laughs> I cuss more than any other time because I've, practiced getting rid of my filters. Yeah, you know, I want to be able to act on my impulse without yeah. judgment, which leads to swearing a bunch. And so even when my mom comes to see the show. He may cuss more than he may cuss more than anyone else. <laughs> it's on the been, team. It just I've never seen a man cuss so much. He's it, just disgusting. It, it builds up in my real life and then I improvise and it all comes out. But I just think yeah. that's to to be able to keep certain filters in place and do really good improv is a, a little bit of a balancing act. Yeah, I would say so. We've become really good at it. Like, I think not being able to do some of the things has really, like, helped us really hone our comedy in a different sort of way. It really, like, helped us stretch, I think, a lot. So we can actually still bring all of that to the table. Um, again, for me, I really I appreciate realism and honesty. And so we go to festivals, I feel like that's when we're actually doing more of our more honest work because it feels more like who we are. It's also nice because a lot of us, like a lot of our teammates have kids and they bring their kids to the show. So there is a real moment there where you're like, there's a 10 year old out there. Kind of how I felt when Storm Chaser has done Red Rocks, the feeling of being like, yeah, you can say whatever you want, but you also are reading the audience. And if, if there is a 10 year old in the front seat and everyone can see there's a 10 year old in the front seat, 
you kind of yeah. just look like an asshole for not being aware that there's a 10 year old, you know? <laughs> right. For creating an awkward conversation for that parent on their way home. Like we don't need to do that, you know? Yeah. And to show them that like, this is as much for them. Like they can still enjoy this. That comedy does not have an age. Everybody can enjoy it. And we're here for everybody to be able to enjoy it. And that for us just plays better for our audiences and where we are. I don't think that would work everywhere. Can you talk a little bit about Red Rocks? We've we've mentioned it a couple times now. Um, oh, yeah. What is that, Wendy? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked, Travis. Um, Red Rocks is our improv festival. We just have players from all over the country come and play in Cedar City in September. For us, we knew we wanted to do a festival. Our city, Cedar City is called Festival City, so we were sort of like, how do we live in Festival City, not do an improv festival. We had gone to some improv festivals before in LA and Phoenix, and we were like, okay, this seems daunting, but we think we can do it. And when we finally settled on the idea that our Red Rocks Improv Festival is not about the audience, it's not about the playing, it's not about us, we want to give are the people who come to play, the improvisers who come out to our festival, the best time. We want them to feel like they're coming home. Once we honed in on that and everything centered around that idea, that's where we we sort of found our groove. That's just our focus. So every time we say something, we'll be like, well, what kind of thing do we want to do or what do we want to offer? We'll always say like, well, what's going to make the, the players feel like they're home? Like what makes people feel good, loved, cared for? Honing in on what you're moving towards, your objective is so yes. huge. And the fact that you have it narrowed down to one sentence yes, and you can really feel that it's one of my favorite festivals. It's so oh, good. So fun. And it really does feel like coming home. I mean, for me and Travis, there's like an extra reason for that. Yeah. But I have it on good word that other players feel that way too, which is really incredible. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I had no knowledge of a reason why we were doing an improv festival in utah like a city called cedar city which i had never heard of they're like yeah we're gonna drive out over eight hours to this little tiny city and i was like oh great yeah we'll do it it's because it's utah and you know it means something to y'all whatever and then we showed up and i feel like red rocks is one of the best improv festivals i've ever performed at it's just great mm -hmm, the thanks. audiences are great it's warm energy there's a community feeling to it. It really does have that feeling. So I just want you to know you can check off your boxes or as your mm. mission is concerned. Well, thank you. Well, we figured like when people feel safe, when, when players feel like they are loved and cared for and safe and they feel like this is a nice place that they are welcome, they will then play their best show, which then gives our audience the best opportunity to have the greatest experience. So like if it all, it'll all filter out and it all starts with them. So if we make you guys feel like rock stars, you're going to be rock stars on that stage and our audience is going to have an amazing time. It's funny because I did the same thing with my wedding. I was like, what's one word we want? Want them to walk away from our wedding saying like that wedding was so and tj and i went with fun we wanted people to walk away going that wedding was so fun so everything we did and everything we decided revolved around whether or not we thought it was fun i'm gonna steal that wow wow that's great advice that's such good advice on so many <laughs> levels you could apply it to anything yeah how did you now that we know that you're just a genius anytime you go in to plan something. Yeah. Do you want to be on the podcast permanently? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things about the Red Rocks Festival is 
your actual theater. The stage is like very conducive to doing good improv. It, the, yeah. the doors are in the right spot. You've got the chairs are in the right spot. The lighting is perfect. The curtains are, it's, it's a great improv stage. Thank you. And we've played on a lot of ones that didn't feel like that. So, (laughs) well, when we got to our theater, it was a blank canvas for us. It took us a while. We did a whole Kickstarter to get to the stage that we have now, but we literally the year before just said, what do we want to play on? What do we want in an improv stage? And we said, we want doors without doors. We want like doorways with curtains. So they're easy to get in and out of, or we can move the curtain aside. We want a deep space. We want a long space. Like we were sort of like, we want this space to be something that we could have a band play on the coolest improv show and a black box theatrical production. But everything first was like, it's all intentional for the improv. We said, this is what we want from an improv theater and what we want from an improv stage. So everything was designed from that. You know, I was like, I want a backstage area and the backstage area has to be open. So if you walk in one door, you can come in another. We need four doors. We want, you know, we just sort of said, this is what we want. And then we made it happen. That's when we used all of our theater, like knowledge. We did all of it because <laughs> we built it all ourselves. Well, I know you mentioned the the depth and the doors, but what do you feel like makes it for a good improv space? Because I do get that sense when I'm on your stage, but sometimes I can't yeah. identify what it is. I just know it when I feel it. So do you have thoughts on that? I think it's because it's so close to our audience. So we knew that too. And it's not too tall of a stage, but I think there's also just this feeling that like, you know, the curtains, we have red curtains that look like theater curtains, but they're not theater curtains. We just bought them at Ikea. And it like, there's just something about, I think that you can tell it was built the way that improv happens, which is all of us just being like, sure. This is good. Yeah, that's funny. I was uh, I was an intern at IO West on many build days where we added little patchwork improvements to that stage. And I can say that stage never improved or became a great stage to perform on. <laughs> well, the space too, like when we figured out where we wanted our space to be, we knew we wanted something that was big enough to manage a good size stage. Cause that's the other thing too. A lot of improv, like improv theaters have like these small stages and we really wanted it to be able to be like, if you want to be off stage and not be seen as you're adding things, you can, that we could do something where we had 25 people. You know, we, we already knew at that point we do our birthday shows, which is every year we invite everybody who's played with us before to come back. And at that point we were at like 10 years. So we knew like systematically that number's just going to keep growing. So if you want to do a show where you have 35, 55, 65, 75 improvisers, you're going to need a stage big enough for a bunch of people to stand on, but not so big. Everybody gets lost. Yeah, it really is a perfect balance. You guys are making me feel very good about all of my life choices. What I want. I, that's my, my thing for this podcast is like, I'm like, I just want people to feel that I love them. And that's, that's it. So mission accomplished. you're doing yes. Mission accomplished. So speaking of life choices, Wendy. Yeah. One of the things that I'm so impressed by with all of off the cuff, but I think you and TJ maybe specifically is I feel like at some point you made the decision, build the community here or leave for the community in LA. Yeah. Can you talk me through that thought process? 
Yeah. So we at first just built it here because that's where we were going to school and that's what made sense. And then it was like, oh, we have jobs that are keeping us here. So we might as well keep this thing going. It's fun. And we're having fun with our friends. And then we started to really think about like, oh, moving out to LA. Like there was a point when a lot of people who had played with us had moved out to LA and we could honestly say we had more friends in LA than we had in Cedar City. And we were sort of like, why are we still here? This was right around our 10th birthday show. And for our 10 year birthday show, it was sort of like unveiling the new stage and a bunch of people came back for the 10 year birthday show. And again, we wanted that show to not only just be the show, but to also be a time for everybody to sort of come back and share memories. So we did this like luncheon in between. We did two nights, Friday, Saturday night and Saturday afternoon. We did this luncheon and people got a chance to just sort of like share memories or talk about off the cuff and what they loved about it. And it really turned it. We thought we like, we'll give it like an hour. It turned into like this very long thing that sort of felt like a very spiritual, like bonding session of people talking about how much it meant to them that we we were not, I don't think very much aware of at that time. And I remember on Saturday night before the show started now. So uh, our friend tilt, who I'm sure you guys all know, and I might get emotional because he's passed this last year, but tilt was always, he was always the guy who would come up to me and be like, what are you doing here in Cedar city? Still like you are wasting your potential. You need to move out to LA, come out to LA, Wendy, you and TJ need to move out to LA. Like, what are you guys doing here? What are you guys doing here? Like every time I saw tilt, anytime I talked to him on the phone, sometimes he would just text me that out of the blue. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, Saturday after this like time that everybody had a chance to talk and sort of like share what they were thinking and feeling, we were getting ready to go on stage and I was doing my, like, you know, I run around and like make sure everybody's feeling happy and everybody's got water and everyone's doing good until just took me aside. And he said, I want you to take a second and look at what you guys have done. And I have to tell you right now, Wendy, you would be crazy to leave this behind. This is something that is very rare and very special and to walk away from it. Like I've been telling you to do would be the stupidest thing you could possibly do right now. And that really shook me because he never, like, first of all, Tilt doesn't, he never bullshit anybody. And he always, it was like the opposite of what he'd always told me. And he got a little choked up about it. And um, TJ and I at that moment sort of said like, okay, I think that, that he might be right. And let's, you know, if we've got something that's good and you've got something that's special and we're old enough now to know that you can't reproduce lightning in a bottle. You can't find it again. That when you find something that works and it's lovely and it's great, you hold on to that for as long as you can, because you know, it's not going to last forever. So you might as well let it last as long as you can. So we were like, okay, we're going to stay here. We're going to stick with this. I got the chills. Yeah. That stupid tilt. He did so much for me. That little asshole. I love him. <laughs> That's all. I love him yeah. too. I was, I was yeah. like, I have 10,000 things to say, but they don't, none of them feel right. But yeah. I love him. And I'm so glad that you could have that moment with him. Yeah. Like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, you legitimately in a major way changed mine and Natasha's life with off the cuff. And I know we're not the only ones. Oh, thank you. I, but see, then again, I, I also feel like that's not necessarily us. Like I was, we were talking about this today. Nobody else changes somebody else. Like you can't change somebody. 
right? I, I work in the mental health field and we talk about this all the time. All you can do is invite them to change and make change look and show them the potential that's there. And I think that that's what we do in Off the Cuff. We didn't do, we don't do anything, right? We don't make people great improvisers. We just show them that there's this awesome opportunity for them and show them that there's a path there that we're going to help them traverse, but they're doing the climbing. So like, when I say you guys give us too much credit, I mean that because that's not us. You guys did that. We were just there to sort of light a path. And then you guys were like, oh, this cool path. But you did all the climbing, right? Just because somebody tells you go climb Mount Everest doesn't mean I, they get credit for you climbing Mount Everest. You still did it. That's yeah, that's really beautiful. Wendy, I think you're touching on something that I just, in modern society, there's just a lot of emphasis on teachers being at the front of the classroom prescribing what you're learning and your job is to repeat right. what they have taught you as the learned individual but you've flipped the paradigm and you said you're the one who's doing the walking you're the one who's doing the learning you're the one who's moving yourself along that is i feel like part of the essence of what makes you a great leader oh thanks except that it's just true <laughs> Like, like, it's just true. Like, that's what people do. Like, nobody else accomplishes anything else for anybody else, which also can help us take that perspective to say, like, I'm also not responsible for everybody else's decisions in this world either. So, like, you can kind of live in a space of going, like, there are things in my control. There are things out of my control. What's in my control is making people feel awesome about themselves. There's a, a quote that Maya Angelou said, and she says, people will always forget what you said, but they will never forget the way that you've made them feel. And for me, I just think, like, that's completely in my control, the way I can make people feel when they leave me. So... If a player is going to come play with us and do improv or people are going to come join us, we can make them feel like they are as worthy as every human being on this planet is. That's what we can control. So I can do that. And if that leads people to realize something about themselves or that sparks something in somebody, great. They take that flame and go do that for somebody else. That's awesome. But that's as far as my contribution is. That's it. I, I can make somebody feel as worthy as I see them to like, you know, I can make people feel worthy and worthwhile and loved and listened to what they do with that is up to them. That quote is so real. I actually remember feeling like improv was so cool, but just too scared. I was young and I was just very, very scared of it. Too scared to jump. And I do remember having a conversation with you and I don't remember what was said, but I remember that you made me feel like I could do it. Even if I'm scared, I can do it. Right. Cause you can, cause anybody can, everybody can, right. Cause you can, cause you know, yeah. if you, if you have a want to do it, then you can do it. Cause that's all that you need is that. So all you can do is help somebody see, like, you know, jump off the cliff first and show them that the water's deep enough that they're going to be safe. That's all you, you know what I mean? But you don't do the jumping. You just say like, I'm fine. See, I'm fine. You can come join. Come on if you want to. Or you can hold a boundary and say, Wendy, I do not want to jump off this cliff right now. That's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by RY Originals, whole plant, vegan CBD vitamins that are full of healthy, purposeful vitamins, minerals, and herbs. Hemp is more nutrient dense than broccoli and berries. It's a superfood. For some reason, every other CBD product extracts and isolates the CBD from the plant, leaving all the nutrients behind. But RY says, not today, nutrients. You're coming with us. 
By lightly baking the hemp powder and mixing it in with other natural vitamins and minerals, RY creates a perfectly healthy and perfectly balanced experience. So, not only do they make you feel good, they are also really good for you. They're double lab tested and activated without extraction, which makes them truly original. RY Originals has crafted four unique blends. They've got Better Mood, Pain Lift, Sleep Tight, and Original Blend, all of which are available right now at shop.ryoriginals.com. That's S-H-O-P O-R-I-G-I-N-A-L-S.com. So check them out today, and don't forget to use discount code STORMCHASER at the checkout to get 420 off every bottle. RY Originals, eat your greens. You feel like your your improv experience and your acting experience overlaps with your job? Yes, it, it 100% is a constant overlap. So I work in the mental health field. I say all the time to the people in improv and to the people at work that like dialectical behavior therapy, which is learning that there are two opposing things that can be true at the same time and through a process of using skills that we can master understanding and embracing those dialectics. That's just what improv is. It's the same thing. They're both doing the same thing in separate places without realizing that they're doing the same thing, right? They're both talking about being present. They're both talking about mindfulness, which is like, I'm acutely aware of where I am in the world and that what I have in the world is going to be affecting the people around me. So I have to be very aware of where I am in the space of the world and how I am emotionally, physically, and mentally affecting everybody around me. That's extremely powerful therapeutically to learn. That's all improv is, is learning how to manage that, to be on stage with people and feel that connection because you're present and mindful. And that most of the problems that people have mental health wise can be summed down to either future tripping where they're worrying about what's going to happen or they're, or they're worrying about what happened before. And being present can help you cope with both of those things very well. And that's not to say that we shouldn't or can't live in the past or, the, or worry about the future. Again, I'm not somebody who's going to tell people to stop doing things because it doesn't work for me. It won't work for them. It's more about like I can control and focus on being more present, which helps me to have maybe more perspective in how I can cope with what happened in the past or be able to manage something in the future with a little bit more of an open heart and an open mind and open eyes. It all comes back to that same thing. It just does. That helps you like understand how you manage relationships, right? If you're on stage and I'm trying so hard to be as interested in you as I possibly can, if you're on stage with me, if you do that in life with your relationships, you won't have problems with your relationships. That's just the fact of the matter. If you could be as interested in somebody in real life every day as you are as, as them on stage, validation saying, yes, yes, your idea is awesome. Yes, I'm going to build from that. Validation creates safety. Safety allows improvisers on stage to be as creative as they want to be. Safety allows people the freedom and the comfortability to manage whatever is happening with them, right? People aren't going to start talking about some things that are difficult for them unless they feel safe. Validation is the only way that that happens. The only way we can roll with what's going on is to continue to validate it in our minds, to validate the world around us, validate ourselves, validate each other. That's how you create all that. And it's all the same thing. I was just thinking about how sometimes 
your mom listens to you more than anyone else. And I was like, well, she loves you. She wants to know what's going on with you. And and it doesn't just have to be a mom, but in my life, my mom does that. And my partner was saying that about his mom. Like, she's just so interested in my life. Like, even when I ask her about her, she turns it back because she just wants to listen to me and be with me and how validating and beautiful of a relationship that is. Yeah. And what you're saying is so true. Any relationship in your life, if you can give someone that kind of attention where you're like, I'm just with you and like, you are the focus you make, you can make people feel so good. I always tell people that all improvisers should treat each other on stage the way people do when they're three months into dating and they're very excited about their relationship <laughs> because they, because they know just enough about that person to feel comfortable. Be so into them too, but be so into just like everything they do is like, that's awesome. You know, <laughs> that's how it should always feel. That's great <laughs> advice. People ask me relationship advice fairly regularly because my wife is awesome and we're very happy. Yeah. And so they think I know what I'm I'm doing and I don't. <laughs> but the one thing that I can tell people is another improv rule. My job is to make you look as good as possible. Yeah. So in a relationship, like my job is just to make you as happy as possible. And the great thing is if your scene partner or your spouse is also doing that. Also doing it. Everybody's happy. Everybody looks awesome. And it's like easy. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Cause I feel the same way you do. People sometimes ask TJ and I that they're like, what's your guys' like key to this good <laughs> relationship that you have? And I'm like, we really like each other. <laughs> yeah. like, we really like each other. You just got to find somebody you really like who likes you as much as you like them. And, uh, is, you know, and then you just be really cool together. Yeah. Just be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's let's shift gears just a little bit. Okay. And t- and talk about the work. Yeah. There's this great question. I think Fish wrote this question down that I think is really cool. That's like if you could send an emergency alert message to every improviser, like if there was a message <laughs> that you could like just like get into the brains of every improviser, what would it be? Ooh, see, so I read that because, you know, you guys gave me a little cheat sheet ahead of time and I read that mess that question and I've been thinking about it cuz I'm like, what would I say? To every improviser, if I could just send them like an Amber Alert message, I, I I think for me, what it really does come down to is like, gosh, I would honestly just say to them, like, what you have to give to us all is so vitally important that you have to give it to everybody. You have like, you're the only person who can share your voice. It's vital because it's the only one. So you have to share that with us and remember that that is the case for the person on stage with you too. Don't just think about like, I am enough. Cause I love, I love when improv talks about that. I, you are enough. You are enough. I am enough. But what actually the best way to take that and make it the most potent is to look at your scene partner and say, and believe looking at them, you are enough. Everything they're giving me is awesome. And it's so much easier to do that. It's so much easier to look at the person across from you, see everything that's great about them, see everything that they have to contribute, know that what they're giving you is so special and so unique and you're creating something right now and love them immensely for it. They, then you don't have to worry about you which I prefer because I feel like I spend most of my life just thinking about myself. Like I would like improvs a one time in my life that I really feel a necessity inside of me to not pay attention to myself. And it's so freeing and it's so nice. So that's what I think I might say. 
That's the longest text in the world. No, it's just like one of those long paragraph ones, but it's yeah. still, I think it would still fit though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good thing to remember. I feel like the reason we're still a team is because we like each other so much. But, you know, just anytime I can remind myself on stage to like look at these two and be like, yeah, these guys rock, you know, yeah, it's a great feeling. It's the best to look at your scene partner and just love what they're doing or like rewatch your work and just be like, gosh, I'm so lucky to be on a team with these guys. They're so fucking funny. I feel like that all the time. And I think that's the that's a huge key. Do you think that's a choice? Like I, I'm thinking of of maybe some yeah. people out there who are like, man, I wish I could find someone I like to play with. Like if if Anatasha and Pish can look at me and go, Man, this guy's awesome, then then anyone out there, you can make Stop the choice it. to treat your scene partner that way. We've had to work on that very hard. Track. I, I meditate <laughs> on it. I, I think about it. I write it on my arm to remind myself Travis is good at improv. <laughs> <laughs> it is 100% a choice. I think so. Because like, I think you can meet a good portion of improvisers who love an improv jam, and you can meet a good portion of improvisers that hate an improv jam. And the key to an improv jam is that you just got to think like, man, these people are great that I'm with. Most of the time, people in improv jams are thinking, oh my gosh, what is everybody else doing? That And that's the killer. That's the poison. Like, if... Like Susan Messing, I took a class from Susan Messing once and she said something that really stuck with me. And she said, if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think about that a lot. I feel like that quote went viral in the improv world. I feel like that's like improv scripture now. And I love it. Yeah. Well, because it's so true. It's like, I can't control you. Like when I go into a, when you go into an improv scene with somebody you don't know, there's so little control you have over the choices that they're making. So instead of ruminating on why you think the choices aren't going to work, which wastes time, wastes the scene and destroys it. So then you can walk, why? So you can walk off and go like, see, I knew it was going to be bad. (laughs) Good for me. I did it. Like nobody wants it to be bad. So why, so, so why not just embrace the fact that we can't, we actually have a lot of control over what, how to make it good all the time. Yeah. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like if, if Pish looks at me and goes, that guy's a good improviser, then I sort of become a good improviser because he's treating me like a good improviser. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, the audience has nothing to do, but completely watch us and be so interested and invested in everything that they see all of that. All of that. I say this all the time at work too, where I'm like, you can be frustrated at the situation that you find yourself in when you're working with a client, but the second you start to think that, they are going to feel it from you. So what you have to do is remain thinking about them in the most human and wonderful way possible, or they will have no reason to listen to you because why would they? And that's why most teenagers don't like adults because they can feel that somewhere that adult is like, ugh to this teenager, instead of thinking about how cool, how capable, how awesome, how great they are. When I think back on when I was a teenager, those, those kind of people who I felt that energy from were the ones I loved and listened to. Everybody else was a jerk (laughs) in your eyes, you know? And it's the same for our audience. It's the same for people. When you're playing with somebody, you can tell, you can feel it. One of my favorite things to do is to play a duo show with someone I haven't ever played with before. Because if you can get 15 or more minutes just with one person, you like learn a lot about each other in this short span of time. And you can really be surprised. It's like, you know, if you play with the same people for a long time, you surprise each other, but not in the same way where I'm like, I'm going to do this duo. Like I did a duo with Whitney 
Travis's yeah. life, we, not without, you know, just jumping on stage for the first time. And like you learn something new about somebody, even if they're your friend, it's, I just think it's can be a very special, cool experience. It so is. Cause you're like, you're like, Hey, we're going to go out there and be each other's safety net. And that's that. And that leap of faith with each other is something that, again, we might as well make it special. We have this time. We might as well make the most of it. And why waste that time thinking about all of the ways we wish it was different? Dear God, how much I wish I could tell young Wendy, stop wasting time wishing something could be different. Just enjoy what it is right here and right now. Right here, right now with Wendy (laughs) Penrod. Play little is that what is that collective soul? Uh, right here, right yeah, now. Right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your vision for the future for off the cuff and for improv? Well, right now I gotta say, so we've been closed since last March. This has been a full year. We haven't been doing weekly shows, which is strange. It's the longest I think that I've gone without doing weekly shows. And I would say a year ago, I would say I had all these great ideas about how to grow off the cuff and we want this next festival to be like, get the most applications we've ever had or to do, you know, to get to grow our audience and do all this kind of stuff. And this has been a year of perspective, I think, and sort of like realignment for a lot of people. And for me right now, I don't know that I have much of a hope for off the cuff beyond like to just in fucking joy it more than I was before because I miss it so much. I can't wait to come back. And we got a grant from our city. So off the cuff is fine. OTC is going to make it through this. And all of us at this point are vaccinated. And so we're feeling confident in being able to hopefully at least do shows through the summer and then see what happens next fall and winter. But at at this moment, I just want to play again. Man, I just want to be on stage and not take a second of it for granted. Not for one second think about how I'm tired or for one second kind of be like, oh, okay, somebody of course wants to do this warm up that I don't like and I hate it and wants to do it. And so just to be like, man, I get to be here with my friends and do this again. God, what a gift. What a fucking gift. The way that Off the Cuff came to be and you talking about feeling motivated to keep going and not necessarily having a 20 year plan, but being like, well, I just want to keep doing this is like, just, you were present, you were there, you enjoyed it. So it kept going and growing because you were like, well, how can I love it? Right. You know, even getting a microphone and being like, we got a microphone (laughs) and like being excited about that is just like enjoying what is made it grow, made it become what it is. Yeah. a cool lesson that I want to take. Um, what's the improv warm up that you hate though? Oh my gosh. I hate a lot of them. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite? We'll start with a positive and then what are the, what's one that you're like, I don't know why, but I just hate it. Or maybe you do my know favorite. why. I don't <laughs> No, I know why I, uh, I just, I'm, gosh, I'm trying to think. Cause there's a lot of them that I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I hate I hate pun based ones because for me it's about like connection does that make sense so like I can do a great pun or whatever but like I would rather do something like like if we're gonna like stand around sharing puns I'd rather just stand around and talk and feel like I get connected to the people I'm with I I much prefer something like that just makes us all be silly like kitty cat career or um hey Fred Hey Fred. Oh gosh. What's it called? Hey Fred. Um, what's his name from the B 52s? I can never, I always want to say Willard, but that's not his name. <laughs> I don't know if I know this warm up. No, oh I just know the B 52s guy. That's all I call yeah, him by. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's a B-52, guys, and his name, hold on, I'm looking it up, um, but you say, like, Schneider, hey, Fred Schneider, what are you doing? Everybody says that together, and then you say, you just say something in a random voice, like, looking through my socks to find two that match. That's all you do. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a pish warm-up, because it's, like, a little absurd, just kind of yeah. fun. I like it. I love things that are fun and silly and absurd, and we just kind of enjoy how clever each other is, but you, there's not pressure to, like, remember how to do the count, or be on the beat, or give a good pun, or, you know, things like that, or, like, rhyming games or whatever, but I understand why all those are necessary. you got to work that brain. Like, on days where I'm like, oh, guys, I feel so slow tonight. Let's do something that makes me have to work. Mm. But moments where I feel like we get to connect, or we can see each other be really fun and creative those are my favorite kind of warm-ups i love storm chasers sometimes would just someone would start doing something don't know like it would just be super random like kind of bouncing and saying the name of i remember there was one time someone was like just saying like the name of a candy bar over and over again and this isn't (laughs) like we're not talking about what we're warming up just like somebody's being a weirdo and then everyone like (laughs) looks at them and is like i also want to be weird and then we're like weird together. Yeah. And then that becomes a warm up that I'm like, I don't even know what the rules are. It's just, I don't know what the rules of this game are. It's just a thing we play though. And that, yeah. those are my favorite. Yeah. Cause it's just like you guys embracing each other and like what you bring to the table instead of being like, now we must all try to come up with the best Alex Trebek impression <laughs> where we're doing Jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything you do personally for your headspace or for your your state of play is there any like personal thing you do before a show yeah so when i am doing a show i love when we choose really great intro music and i like waiting for a second off stage and i'll like jump because i like get myself into it i'm somebody who like creates my own energy when i can create my own energy we also quack like the mighty ducks before a show and somehow that just infuses me with so much energy and again that also came not because we were like what should we do to bond ourselves before a show we were just all talking about the mighty ducks one day and we were being weirdos and we were like here we go quack 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 and now we just do it before every single show i think you were doing that when i was playing with you and i loved it yeah, it yeah so it's fun. awesome it's so awesome because <laughs> it's just us being like little weirdos well i mean we i feel like we've covered so much ground wendy you've been amazing <laughs> i feel like i could talk to you all night Thanks, do guys. you does anybody have anything else we want to ask i just wanted to tell you i was really into you talking about mental health and how that relates to improv because and i feel like probably you could do a ted talk on that because i was like whoa this is cool yeah it's the same stuff yeah yeah, it's the same thing. And um, mental health is extremely important, and every single person on the planet should be in therapy. That's all. <laughs> That's how I feel. That's the other text to everyone. Just text everyone. That, yeah, that, maybe that would be my text. Get get a good therapist. Uh, destigmatize it. Yes. Talk about the crap that's going on in your lives. When somebody tells you that they're having a hard time, validate them, love them, ask them. Yes. Don't say, like, how can I help? Just help. I was hanging out with the Natasha over three years ago today. I think we were in a Chipotle and I was just letting her know that I was having a really hard time. Yeah. And she said, you know, have you ever thought about going to therapy? And I was like, you know, I have, but I hadn't really considered it seriously. And so I reached out to therapists soon after that. And I've been with my therapist now for about three years and it has completely transformed my life. Right. I think because it's a taboo, I find it hard to talk about it sometimes, but mental health since then has become the most important thing that I check in with daily. 
And I'm oh my gosh. shocked that I did not before this. Right? Me too. Like it's the greatest thing. That's exactly how I feel about my therapist where I'm just like, I love her so much. Gosh, she, she knows me, she gets it. And it's like the most, like, I honestly think that it is something that everybody needs. You just need somebody who is a neutral third party to talk to. Like you don't have to have anything to talk about. I know a lot of people think like, oh, I, it, the only way, like I, I should only go to therapy if I have high anxiety or if I'm suicidal or I have this, like I've only had, like my trauma is not big enough. I hear that all the time. Like people will all the time say this. And anytime somebody says this to you, they'll always say like, yeah, we're going through this, but you know, other people have it worse. What you say to them is stop comparing trauma. Stop comparing trauma. Trauma is trauma and stop comparing it. You are allowed to be sad and having a hard time with this thing that's happening to you, even though it might not be as bad as somebody else is having it. If we all put our traumas in the middle of a circle, we'd all walk away with what we have. I promise you people are, everybody's fighting these really difficult battles. Everybody has something that they don't want to just share with the world, which makes sense. And so like, Go somewhere, talk to somebody, be validated, be loved, give that to each other. Uh, it's the best thing. Mental health is so, so important. And um, I just, if I could, I would pay for everybody to go to therapy. I totally agree. I, you know, it's, I, I try to think about what I would, I could have told myself before I was in therapy to get me in therapy earlier. Do you want to be a better improviser? Do you want to be a better performer? Do you want to have closer relationships with the family in your life? Yeah. Do you want to have closer relationships with everyone you meet? Do you want to break Do you want to love yourself that, again? Yes. Do you want to sleep better? Do you want to feel empowered to have control over your thoughts, feelings, and actions because you know how that cycle works now? Do you want to be able to look back at some of the shitty things that happened to you and go, that happened to me, but it no longer rules the way that I feel about things because I've neutralized it? Do you want to be able to manage what's happening now in your life? Like there's so much there that's so helpful that I can't even begin to sing its praises enough and uh, everybody should be doing it. This is so nice because I feel like for a long time I have said like, yeah, I should get a therapist. Not for any particular reason, but just because I, I believe you. I'm like, yeah, a hundred percent. Yes. This is a thing. Yeah. Maybe this conversation will put a fire under my butt and I will finally go get a therapist. Cause I've, yeah, I'm like, that sounds so nice. I want to talk to somebody about, you know, Everything, everything. Yeah. Like, it sounds like like, wonderful. Yeah. I'm going to tell two quick things because I know you guys want to wrap it up. You guys like, no, we started talking about therapy. Um, I did not, I I was the same way. I always wanted a therapist, but I always felt like nothing big enough has happened to me. Right. My parents are still married. I have really great relationships with my sisters. And it wasn't until I got diagnosed with infertility that I was like, oh, this is probably going to wreak havoc on my mental health. So I should go in and manage it as it's happening to me. And I did that and doing that opened up all this other stuff. And it was amazing as I sat in front of my therapist talking to her about some of the things that had happened or talking about, I would talk about a family member. And I just remember I was talking about my mom and I was like, you know, these are some of the things I struggle with and this is what's going on. And then I, and then I stopped and I said to my therapist, my mom would step in front of a bus for me. I need you to know that. I need you to know that as I'm telling you how I was struggling with some things about in my childhood, she would do anything for me. And my therapist just looked at me and she said, Wendy, Managing the feelings, the difficult feelings you have about your mom is not going to make you love her less. It's going to help you love her better. 
So keep going. You don't have to justify to me that you love your mother. And I was like, thank you. And then I was able to just like process that. And I see like my sister struggling with some stuff that I'm like, I don't struggle with that anymore because I understand it more. It's like the best. Go do it, Tasha. Go tonight. I'll give you the text. I'll I'll text you my therapist's number. (laughs) Thank you. This is much appreciated. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm literally in the same boat as Tosh. I'm I'm that person that's like, my life's been good. Like I'm, right. you know, but obviously we're going through cancer right now. And that's, that's, there's a whole other, there's a whole s- other side effects of life changing issues that come with cancer that I'm like, yeah, we, maybe we both should go talk to someone like it can't hurt. So I'm, yeah. I'm sold. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. It seriously is awesome. And it's okay if you're about three sessions in and you don't like your therapist to go find another therapist. Yeah. Therapy is a lot like finding a life partner. You have to find somebody who gets you, who understands you, who you like, and you feel safe with. And that, that, that doesn't just happen overnight. You, it, it takes a little bit of like being okay with saying like, it's not working. I'm gonna find someone else. Wow. Therapy <laughs> sponsored by that Chipotle salad that Pish and I shared. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well wendy i mean i just can't you blew my mind today it's i miss talking to you so much i forgot how much i miss miss you you. guys too i know i miss you guys too thank you so So much much. for being on here you are the best where where can people follow you and and off the cuff and red rocks festival like plug all the things please 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 okay okay um all right well um off the cuff it's easy at otccomedy.com you'll find everything about our red rocks improv festival you'll find everything about our weekly shows anything we got going on that's a great place we're on all of the social media as well usually under off the cuff comedy improvisation we're the only one in cedar city so it's not hard to find us personally i'm also on social media i do a, a podcast with my my dear friend tiffany mills about movies so if people are into movies, it's called And the Oscar Does Not Go To, where we, com- we we compare and contrast two movies that were nominated for Oscars the same year. One won, one didn't. We talk about how we feel about that. It's, it's a lot of fun. Rev also has a podcast called Monster Smash League that I do. Uh, I play Jenny Greenteeth on, which is where monsters fight to the death. It's pretty cool and awesome. So check that out. The production on that one. It's really fun. And he does all of it himself. He's the writer, the producer, the director, the editor. He's just doing it all. And I don't know how he does it. Definitely go check that out. And we love <laughs> Tiffany as well. She's also amazing. So definitely so go check that fun. podcast so out as well. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Otherwise, that's me. Uh, I work at my job and I do off the cuff and that's what I do. I have two cats. <laughs> But seriously, thank you guys so much for asking me to be on here. This was so fun. This was so amazing. I was so humbled that you guys would want to talk to me and ask me questions. And so thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this with us. I think I I feel super humbled that uh, you would do it with us. So Mm -hmm. yeah, right back at you. Mm -hmm. And Natasha said you were her first improv crush. So (sighs) You're embarrassing me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be embarrassed, Natasha. Mine was Chris Fitz. I told him. It's okay. Mine was Rev, but nobody tell him. I I absolutely. Absolutely won't. In fact, I'll say they all said specifically, Rev, that you have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Rev is the Travis of Off the Cuff because we say <laughs> these things to Travis constantly. Yeah. It's a yeah. huge compliment, Rev. It's a huge compliment. It is. Ah, Wendy Penrod, everybody. Isn't she incredible? Please go check her out at www.otccomedy.com. 
And listen, not to jinx anything, but if there's a chance we can all gather in safety to do some improv again, I can't recommend enough the Red Rocks Improv Festival in Cedar City, Utah. Storm Chaser has played festivals all over the country and Red Rocks is absolutely one of the best. Speaking of the best, people who leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts are that. The best, I mean. Seriously, we're on a quest to expand our lovely community of artists and improvisers, and those reviews go a long way to help us do that. Speaking of expanding our community of artists and improvisers, if you don't already follow us on the gram and on the Twitter, please do so at Stormchaser Improv. That's it for me. Thanks for listening. And in the immortal words of Rudy Gobert, on to the next one. Thank you for listening to the Stormchaser Improv Podcast Show.